she's always been the type of person that just says things and she just speaks her mind. I guess that has a little bit to do with not having a formal education. Welcome to the mid-Wimbledon episode of The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. And so much has happened in week one of Wimbledon. We (laughs) came to you with our preview last week, where we kind of tongue-in-cheek named the episode Wimbledon. Uh, Hmm. But we're we're just getting back to Toronto. We've had a really busy two weeks with uh, the wedding in Ithaca. We came back and had a very good old friend of yours stay with us. And then we were in Rochester for my dad's 60th birthday. I call those foundation brethren. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I've known her since I've been, since I was what, like five years old, six years old. But we didn't really become good friends until like I was 14. Mm, okay. But still, that's more than half my life at this point. So shout out to Miss Jody if yeah. you're listening. <laughs> Doubtful, but shout out nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> And then we went and celebrated your father's 60th birthday, the big 6-0. Right, which he's not, like, super impressed with. No. I don't think. But, you know, it was very low-key. My sister was home from California. The whole gang was there. It was really nice. Vince got to have the run of their backyard, which for a city dog is quite the treat. Oh, yeah. Vince was in the lap of luxury. He fell asleep in the backyard, (laughs) just having the sun kiss his eyes. (laughs) Let's get right into it because we saw two enormous upsets in week one. Could have been three, but Miss Serena survived. Right. It was a close call there. But both French Open champions are out. They're gone. Yeah. And I have to say, I was less shocked about Muguruza, but the Djokovic thing is really stunning. And, you know... These are cliches, but it really shows you how difficult it is to achieve what he and Serena have achieved. And to win five in a row on the men's tour is... The key there being Serena and Djokovic, right? The and that connects the two. Because some people will have you believe that Novak's been the one to achieve all this thing. Mm. Like, all these things that's never been done before. Well, Serena has done it twice. And according to her, she and Novak have made extreme history. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever that means. But of all the people to do it, Sam Query. Uh, Sam Query. Sam Query. Really. I feel like I've mentioned him on this podcast as being over the hill. Have we ever mentioned him on this podcast? (laughs) I feel like I said something rude about him before. Likely. Yeah. So he was mentioned. He was a millionaire matchmaker or match made. (laughs) something like that he had this funky dance thing with some horse face crap horse what does that mean there's this there's this meme with sam query that he put out or something where he's dancing around it was kind of cute uh-huh you know but that's the full extent of my interaction with Mm. sam query (laughs) he actually said that after the show stopped recording he never heard from the girl again (laughs) which is hilarious there was no match made in heaven anyway sam query you know, he does have the game to 
to uh, challenge and sort of trouble a player like Novak, especially if he's not having his best day. Mm -hmm. And Novak wasn't having his best two days. You know, (laughs) I was concerned after the, the rain delayed the match for another day that, okay, Novak is probably going to come out and win three straight sets like he would normally do on a regular day. You say that because you were hoping for Novak to to lose. Well, of course, but I was saying, yeah, I think Novak is going to pull this out. The rain saved him mm-hmm. because Novak has a bad day here and there. Yeah. But to have two in a row was unfathomable for me. And, you know, he may have been dealing with some health things or whatever. How I feel about that is like, whatever, don't care. Because, no, I don't. Because when Serena loses big matches, it's never because she's injured. It's because she's beaten herself, you know? Mm -hmm. I just, I don't want to hear that narrative anymore. And to Novak's credit, he was very gracious and, you know, said he was beaten. And Sam played really well. And that's that. I didn't watch the first day of that match in real time. Because we were traveling that Mm -hmm. day. That ridiculous day where both Venus and Serena were in trouble, and then Novak was in all sorts of trouble while we were driving back to Toronto. I got up at 9 a.m. Venus was up 5-1. And we we left Rochester at, what, 12.15? And we had just crossed the border Mm -hmm. when Venus finally won that match. That's how, like, my heart was in shambles for like six <laughs> well, hours and you were trying to drive and pay attention to the road yeah like thank god for free roaming because i feel like we lived those matches while we were on the road mm-hmm. but seeing the scores come in and i was driving so you were following i kept having to remind you tennis 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 tell me what's going on <laughs> right. in the tennis you're like messing around on twitter or facebook or something like no man i need to know the scores <laughs> <laughs> and you tell me I think I'll never forget. You were like, yo, (laughs) yo, Novak just lost the first set. And then you tell me that he lost his second set 6-1. And the first thing in my mind was, A, how well was Query playing and how poorly was Djokovic playing for that set to be 6-1. Right. Like, that's crazy considering what we've Mm -hmm. seen from Novak in the last year. And you almost wonder, you know, what could have happened if the rain hadn't stopped play would Djokovic have found a way to like rest the momentum his Mm -hmm. way you know he did win the third set the following day and then quickly lost the fourth he also served for the fourth set he broke query to go up 5-4 and I was like okay I'm gonna go have a shower now because I need to get my ass to work right and I come back and lo and behold they're back on serve like how did this happen Mm-hmm. And then they go back to another rain delay, and then eventually in that tie break, Query pulls it out. Have it. Have the win of your life, Sam Query. By the time you've listened to this podcast, his fourth round match against Mayhu will have happened. So I can't even say I'm pulling for Query to back up this win because I like me some Nick- Nicholas Mahu. Right. And and what about this late career renaissance in yeah. singles and doubles? Right. You know? This draw is opened up so much for somebody like him to make a really deep run. And mm. if it's him, I'm very happy. As for Miss Muguruza. Yeah. So she lost to Sapolova, who does have a win over Serena Williams, uh, Charleston, I think. She has a habit of 
playing some big matches. Yeah, I guess here and there. She's a giant killer. Yeah, you'd call her. Um, you know, I'm less surprised about this. I I don't want to say I told you so, but I'm the one who's been saying, you know, she really hasn't had a great year except for that stunning run at the French Open. No, that's incorrect because you can go back and listen to the receipts on this podcast. I was the one who said that Muguruza has had a terrible year in our preview of the French Open. Mm. No, not that you she, specifically, okay. but like to all mm. the people, all the commentators who've been saying she's just playing so well, she's unstoppable. I'm like, well, for one tournament, yes. She's unstoppable until she's unstoppable. Right. You know, <laughs> we haven't seen it yet. We've seen glimpses. Uh, yeah. Even though one of those glimpses was a slam title, you know? And, I, you know, the channel slam is something that is very, very difficult to achieve. And I think that Nadal and Federer winning the channel slam recently has made a lot of us forget how nearly impossible it is. We, I read something about this on Wortham's mailbag that for most of our tennis lives, most of any tennis player's tennis lives, unless you're born in the 2000s, this has been the nature of grass court, clay court tennis. Mm-hmm. That, you know, perhaps you have clay court specialists winning the French Open and not being able to perform well, losing very early at, the Wim- at Wimbledon, vice versa, right? Right. Is it that... Players like Serena, Roger, Novak, Rafa, they're so great that they've transcended this dilemma for tennis players. Mm-hmm. That their games translate so well to all surfaces that it's not that big of a deal. When in fact, you know, it might still be an issue for damn near everybody else. Right. Is it that the surfaces are less distinct these mm-hmm. days? You know, we've heard that. Which we've heard for a while. Right. You know, Wimbledon slowing down, clay courts not playing like they used to. Mm. Like there's been this moving to the middle of all surfaces where they kind of play the same. Right. But there's also an extra week. I don't know if that's helped at all. You know, it's just one week. This won't be the last time you've heard Muguruza's name on the podcast because we've got <laughs> lots to say about our See What ha- Happened Was segment later right. on. <laughs> right. And this time she's the victim. Yeah, of... <laughs> A very merciless Serena Williams. Cutthroat, even. <laughs> it was just, I mean. Right. Um, but as far as other upsets go, the other really big one in the first few days was that Del Potro took out Stan Morinka in the second round. And as you mentioned to me, this is Del Potro's first top five win since 2013. As was right? mentioned to me by the internets. <laughs> yes. Trademark the internet. Um, you know, this is, Del Potro has achieved a lot of firsts since 2013. Yeah. You know, in the past few weeks. In a, in a negative way. Well, right. Yeah. Because of injury and not being able to play. Uh, yeah. I suppose it's not that big of an upset in that grass isn't Stan's best surface. Mm-hmm. Probably his least favorite surface. Oh, definitely. And Del Potro is an elite player when he's on. Right. right? But he is an elite player who has even less of a backhand than he did yes. when it wasn't very mm-hmm. good before, you know? It definitely was a feel-good story. Yeah. One which ended <laughs> with him losing in the third round the next time out to Luca Pui, I think mm-hmm. it was, right? In four sets. But, you know, it'll get him closer to the top 100, get him closer to having better draws. 
going forward, and hopefully he can sustain this stretch of good health. He said he took off the clay court season to prepare for Wimbledon and the rest of the year, and that result, based on where he was in the draw because of his ranking, was mm. was pretty good. Right. I mean, I'm sure he would have liked better than a third round exit, but I mean, he beat one of the top players in the world. Another shocker or not shocker. Not even close <laughs> to being a shocker. Okay. Petra Kvitova went out to Makarova in the second, right? Second round? Yes. Okay. I'm getting confused because they were played, you know, with all the rain, they were played really I mean, late. who can tell which round is which when Federer is in the fourth, fourth round when some people are just barely in the second round? Right. Yeah. So, you know, I had predicted that Kvitova, you know, had a shot here. Well, I had predicted that she is unpredictable. So I guess she proved me right. Now, some observations going into the fourth round. I know once we get this on air, a lot of the fourth round matches will have already been completed. Mm -hmm. You know, so we won't make predictions about who will win. We have uh, Michael Lewis, our first repeat guest on the podcast. You might remember him from sometime around the U.S. Open last year. He went to Wimbledon and he'll be coming on sometime mid-episode. That's all a bit tangential. But back to your point, by the time you listen to this, pretty much all of those fourth-round matches, this supposed Manic Monday, that would have already happened. And so I don't really find it useful <laughs> to be sitting here telling you who we think we're going to win these fourth-round matches because A, fuck if I know, mm. and B, there's a lot more you know, interesting, salacious stuff to talk about. <laughs> salacious yeah so what sticks out to you on the woman's side well the you know the first thing i see is we have another serena williams fetlana kuznetsova match and they have met this will be their 13th meeting and serena leads nine and three um but Svetlana does have a win over her this year in miami and then serena just really spanked her at rome Pretty badly. Is it going to be the third round Serena who beat Annika Beck 6-3-6 love? Or is it going to be the second round Serena who struggled mightily again against Christina McHale? Right. You know, there's there's a lot of respect between these two players. Mm -hmm. And Svetlana is someone who Serena really gets up for. You know. Because she knows she got game. Yes. Because she knows if she's having a crappy day, Svetlana will take advantage. You know, this is a very experienced player, a two-time major winner, and I, I love this matchup. I wish it wasn't happening so early in the tournament. I wish we could see these two players fighting in semis and finals all the time. Kuznetsova is in that position because she beat Sloane Stevens in the third round. Sloane Stevens, who struggled mightily against Mandy Minella, almost lost, and then again losing 8-6 in the third to Kuznetsova. And while we've seen Sloan play well at smaller events and win a few titles in the last, you know, six months, six to 12 months, mm -hmm. she hasn't translated that into having any Grand Slam success. No, which is the total opposite of the beginning of her career. Yes. You know, where she was getting up for these big matches in majors, reaching semifinals, and then not being able to reach finals in the smaller tournaments. Coco Vandeweghe is lurking potentially as a quarterfinal opponent who is damn dangerous with that serve, yeah. with her prowess on grass. I mean, Serena's going to have to up the ante if she's to get through 
and win this 22nd Grand Slam because she's got Kuznetsova, then potentially Vandewey. And then in the semifinal, she's likely to have Radvanska. Well, I told you. Well, I don't know. You still say that, but I told you that I thought Radvanska could make this semifinal. And you were like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, <laughs> I think grass is, if not her best, a close second best surface for her. Okay. But Sybil Kova is having a hell of a tournament and she seems really hungry and motivated. And she's been playing really well lately. Fine. They're going to meet tomorrow in the fourth round. And then in the last bracket of the top half, there's Makarva and Veznina, mm. which... One of them's going to get to the quarters, more power to them. As far as going further, I'd be surprised. On the bottom half, this is where all the juicy stuff is happening. It's so juicy. <laughs> Ask me how juicy it is. And I'd really rather not. <laughs> Simona Hallett, Madison Keys. This is great. Simona Hallett, Madison Keys. <laughs> if you say it again, will it become... Simona Hallett, Madison Keys. <laughs> so, okay. So Madison knocked out Alizé, Miss Alizé Cornet, the most dramatic woman in tennis. And Madison was super happy about it. Her reaction, I really think, said it all. Because, you know, as we're getting through the third set, Cornet is getting louder, more demonstrative, more low class in my opinion that's only my in opinion your opinion yeah <laughs> you don't have to agree but i really i just really don't I'm like gonna the give way you the good wife treatment here <laughs> with that judge and i guess yes. sarah right right in your opinion in my opinion how do you feel about as in your opinion <laughs> <laughs> i don't like the way she plays the game and it gave me immense pleasure to see madison's pleasure in taking her out mm-hmm was did this happen in the third set? Was she on the brink of contracting SARS what? or the bird flu? I was waiting for the histrionics. You know, I was waiting mm. for some injury or some bullshit with the referee or the umpire. And it didn't really go there. But, you know. It's always so at odds with the memory I have of her leaving the grandstand at the Rogers Cup a couple of years ago. Being so, so wonderful with the fans and smiling so so nicely you know she might be a lovely person off the court like she really might be a very sweet person but i don't know she turns into a monster on the court angelique kerber gets misaki doi kudos to doi like she's getting new career highs every week now she played venus i believe in the final of what was that that new tournament oh the one in taiwan yes Mm -hmm. i forget what it's i can't remember the name yeah but Venus beat her there. She's been playing well. Maybe this is her big breakout. You got two lefties going at each other. And she knocked out one of your pre-tournament favorites, Pliskova. Well, you know, I I just can't get behind Pliskova anymore. It's clear because <laughs> nobody had as good a run-up to Wimbledon than Pliskova did. Mm. You could make the argument, which somebody tried to make the argument to me on Twitter, that maybe she played too much leading up okay right but come on you've got to be able to get past the second round if this is your surface which you know this is two years running that she's played well on grass leading up to wimbledon and again she just isn't delivering the goods she's just got too much game to be mucking around Mm -hmm. outside of the quarterfinals 
whatever. Bottom line is I'm done with her. So you can stop bringing wow. that up. You're done with her? Yeah, like, I'm done with her. She forever? Can, yeah, I mean, if she comes and, like, makes a couple quarters in a row, shows that she's able to step up on the big stages, like, great. But I'm making myself look like a fool again. All right. All right. So down in the fourth quarter, we have Miss Elder Williams. Queen, regal, ethereal, <laughs> 11, because an 11 is better than a 10. That's the, is that, that's is the that brand why? motto, yeah. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Venus is looking very stately and gorgeous lately. What's her, new? Her hair is on point. The promo photo she was taking for 11 before the tournament. I always, really even though I know where you're coming from, I always have to be like, I wasn't like, "Mm, there's a white man talking about a black woman's hair. (laughs) How do I feel about this? (laughs) Yeah. Fine, fine. This is hashtag self-awareness we're talking about here. Right. She gets Carlos Juarez Navarro, who I believe has a three and three record against Venus. (sighs) I know she's a favorite of many people and I don't mind Carla. You know, I'm happy mm-hmm. for her most times when she has good results, but just please get out of Venus's way. <laughs> and I also don't see why she should have a 3-3 three three record against Venus. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I'm i not really a fan, but I have a lot of respect for Carla because mm-hmm. she's a professional. She goes out there and does her thing. No matter she... how many bagels she suffers. <laughs> right? She takes it and keeps on going. And, you know, she really has a maximized... Her physical gifts, because she's very, very slight, mm-hmm. like, good for her. But you're going to need to acknowledge the royalty across the net. And I'm just keeping my fingers crossed that Venus can step it up and at least make the semifinals here. If she loses to somebody like Halep or Keys or Kerber, I can deal with that. But with Muguruza out of the draw in the second round, this opened up Venus's path. To make a really deep run. Mm-hmm. And should she make the final, she could be playing Serena in the final. And then I have to call off from work or get my shift covered for Saturday morning. Because there ain't no way. No. No way. Ain't no way, way. <laughs> that I'm missing this match. Quoth Aretha Franklin. Right? And every other tired heifer who's tried to sing that song since <laughs> and failed. American Idol. Right? <laughs> and then we have Shvedova, who has slashed her way into the round of 16. Yeah. She... Has had a hell of a tournament. And uh, Safajova. Please. Thank you, Lucy. You know, you'll hear later on that uh, Michael Lewis was at that match mm-hmm. where she played uh, Bethany Maddock in the first round. And didn't look too good for a while. Well, it was a hell of a match against her doubles partner, which, uh-huh. you know, they clearly know each other quite well. And Bethany's game does work very well on grass. Maybe this is the luck that Lucy needs to get, you know, started in the right direction again. Mm -hmm. Because she's managed to get three more wins. She's in the fourth round, maybe a quarterfinal. She's a semifinalist before at Wimbledon. But by luck, you mean like losing in the quarters to Venus, right? Yes, precisely (laughs) that. Right. (laughs) I don't know if uh, you want to mention something that our guest is going to mention in a little while. Michael predicted that Venus's court assignments were going to dominate our podcast. <laughs> and here's here's my piece on it, and then I'll mm-hmm. let you talk. I have tried in my old age to just dis- 
get off court assignments, you know, just stop complaining about it. There is something a little shocking about putting a five-time champ on court 18. I know that court 18 is like a smaller show court, but it's just... She hasn't been on center once. It just seems a and little disrespectful the fact that there were a lot of rain delays and whatever. Right. But here's the thing. But here's you... the thing. There is one active male player who has five Wimbledon titles, and that's Roger Federer. Mm-hmm. You would not, under any circumstance, dare put him anywhere other than center court or court one. It right. would never happen. And this Wimbledon has a history of bad treatment of the women. They do. The so-called ladies. Yes. At their tournament. And when you have to deal with rain delays and making up matches and whatever, the women invariably are the ones that are going to suffer. Right? Meanwhile, Coco Vandewey has played on center court twice. Why? I don't know. I, I don't know. And it's not as if we're talking about 2012 Venus, who is in the throes of dealing with her Sjogren syndrome and what just nowhere near the top of the women's tennis. Right. She's your number eight seed. She's a top 10 player. Mm-hmm. She's been playing well the last year and a half. She made two slam quarterfinals last year. This is somebody you should be wanting to showcase. Right. And her matches have produced really good tennis. Or entertaining tennis like you i try not get too worked about worked up about it and at this point i try and simmer down a little bit because i know what to expect from wimbledon at this point Mm -hmm. like this does not surprise me do i think it's justifiable absolutely not i think it's just totally ridiculous yeah and it makes it worse that this tournament does have a history of this sort of thing Mm -hmm. with its top women's players you know i don't know venus as always, takes it in stride, answers the questions very gracefully. Because she was also, asked about it in her press. And also with a wink, uh-huh. you know. Because she was like, yeah, you know, I don't really get worked up worked up about that stuff. But, you know, if everybody's, if I'm going to be playing on court 18, you know, other players of similar ilk <laughs> should be playing on court 18 as well. Right. Meaning know? that as long as it's fairly equal between genders. Yes. You know. God, as as she gets older, her press conferences and interviews are just hilarious. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> she seems defiant by nature, and um, that sounds like a pop. Oh, that was naughty by naughty nature. by nature. Oh, okay. Yeah, Serena is naughty by nature, and Venus is defiant by right. Wow, we right? coined something here. <laughs> we should use this going forward. You know, naughty and defiant. The very little last name, <laughs> last name nature, first name naughty, <laughs> or defiant. <laughs> My God, <laughs> the very little that we know about Oracine makes me think that Venus is a lot like her. Mm-hmm. You know. Orsine is a really private person, and we rarely see her speak in public. But um, she seems like someone who doesn't let a lot of things bother her. Yeah. You know, and Venus is not going to harp on this stuff like Serena might. But if somebody really wrongs either of them, they're, they're going to shut that shit down. Oh, yeah. Before you even know what hit you, <laughs> you would have been sunk. Right. <laughs> to the men's draw, which is now... A wide open space for presumably Milos Raonic to get to the semifinal at least. 
Yeah, I mean, he looked like Novak's biggest threat in that quarter. And Raonic is playing really well. He shut down Jack Sock pretty badly. You know, I mean, it's not that Jack played poorly. It was two tie breaks and a 6-4 set. It's not, like, shocking. Right, but, like... Milos should win that match. There was a point in the second set where Milos' average second serve speed was 124. That's Mm. his second serve. You know, and when someone is hitting, like, 138 mile an hour aces down the tee, what are you going to do? Like, really, what do you do? I've been saying for a while that Milos is on the come up, that Milos is actually one of the non-so-called big four players who could actually break through and win, Mm. you know? And you've been, mind I remind you, a bit unwelcoming of that idea. (laughs) (laughs) You know why? Because I was just watching TSN, which is our sports network in Canada, and these like sports center commentators what do you call them? Broadcasters? Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Um, they were saying, oh, now Novak's out. I mean, we don't want to jinx it, but we really think Milos can win this tournament. It's like, you're not tennis reporters. Like, you clearly don't know what you're talking about yeah. because he's not. And know that, but he could, but know that it's... <laughs> it's not impossible. It's No, but know that it's more likely than ever or more possible than ever, right? Mm. I'm not ready. I just ain't. <laughs> So I'm already You're not ready. No, I'm not ready. So I, I want to walk that back a little bit. <laughs> no, you don't get to do that. I I want to go back to a time, like Gladys Knight says. I want to go back to a time. Yeah, like Gladys Knight says, where you could have a grass court specialist pop up and win Wimbledon. Oh, see, I don't. You want to go back to a time when Richard Krejcik? No, no, I knew you were going to go there with that fucking bullshit. Not Richard, Tra- <laughs> not Richard Krejcik. All right, not that pig. I said it, a pig. Mm. When someone like Nicholas Mehu can win, if he okay. were to win, like I'd be all in. Mark Philippoussis. He's not. He's just a big service specialist. He ain't no grass specialist. Um, I he, feel like yeah, but he made the final at the U.S. Open. He had good results on on hard court as well. Yeah, he was just a big a boom boom player. Okay. I don't think anything Which was specific to his something game. that works extremely well on grass. Okay, all right, fine, <laughs> whatever. Now moving on, Roger Federer still doesn't have an easy draw. You know, he's playing Steve Johnson. This big surprise playing Steve Johnson in the round of sixteen. Uh, but he would have to get through Chilich or Nishikori to get to the semis. See, this is the other bullshit. I could so see Chilich winning this tournament. And then here we have it, oh Chilich having two Grand Slams. And you're just like, WTF? How did this happen? Right. It's like, not even like the Mary Pierce of men's tennis. Because... Don't you dare <laughs> put them in the same room. I said not. Because no, Chilich but is... even saying not like you're kind of putting it out there that people would make that comparison okay i was trying to think of other two-time slam winners Mm. right i'm gonna hold this against you for a while just so you know oh my god chilich gets nishikori which we told you about on the last podcast he's never made it past the fourth round of wimbledon and so to expect him even if he gets to the quarter to beat federer Mm. i don't think that's happening federer looks to be playing better getting more comfortable more match play and i should say at this moment that my predictions, our predictions for the first round losers were rubbish. Absolute shit. I thought Nishikori was going to lose. Vinci and Arani disappointed me by winning. And Benchich <laughs> won too. So, like, don't listen to me. 
This is why we I don't. Clearly do, don't know this anything. is why we don't do predictions. <laughs> right. I thought it was safe to when to make tell just you like we're f- making predictions. It's really just who we want to see lose. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I realize that my my opinions were just too clouded by bias, so I'm not going to make predictions anymore because I obviously don't know what I'm talking about. Now the third quarter is, I mean, safe for Burdich. It is so wide open. It's but even, crazy. Even Burdich. Well, right. He is the 10 seed, but I was, I mean, I'm looking at this and I'm like, God, who is the obvious choice to get to the semis? If I'm looking at those four players, Vesely, Berdic, Tomic, and Pui, mm. I pick Vesely. Really? Yeah. He's got the lefty serve. He's got, he's played really well. Seriously well. I haven't really watched him play this week, to be honest. And folks talking about young players busting out, he could be the one. <laughs> well, and we've been talking about Luca Pui for a little while now, too. You know? Yeah. Um, I don't see that happening. All right. Now, the fourth quarter is where things get really exciting. And to me, it's the most competitive quarter and most exciting matchups. You know, we have Gasquet and Songa. And Songa is really disadvantaged because he's going to have to play three days in a row. After having won 1917 against Isner 1917 I mean coming back from two sets down he almost had no business winning that third set I watched him play that tiebreaker right before it got dark if the tiebreaker went even a little long they might have had to call the match for darkness but he was pumped to win that match He, he really was and that's what makes me think you know he is really finding his rhythm on the surface he loves to play here yeah who who would think that at Fortnite's end you could mm-hmm. be the one to be telling everybody, see what I told you? I said right, right. that Joe Willie Sanga could win this tournament and save for that big old obstacle right below that that section with Kiros and Mori. Yes. If he gets past that, he really could be a finalist here. He could, I mean have a tournament like that Rogers Cup a few years ago and there's really no one he can't beat. We know that. And so we have Kyrgios Murray as the the other round of 16 match and uh, Murray has like a pretty good matchup with Kyrgios and Nick has been playing quite well but I and, you know, know that he's gotten that bitch Marismo out of his camp. Oh my god. Who, rude. Who you know contributed nothing to his tennis. Didn't, he didn't win any Grand Slams with Emily Moresmo. Right. You know, know that the great savior Lendl is back. I honestly, I am a big fan of Andy, but I almost don't want him to win because <laughs> I don't want to hear, oh my right? God, Lendl is back and they right? won the first major, right. you know. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Enough with the draws. Watch the tennis, marvel in it, anguish with it. Just, you know, we ain't going to tell you what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's not what this is. As promised, we now have an interview with our friend and colleague and former guest, Michael Lewis, who is a professional sports writer. He's based in New York, uh, and he's also a New York City public school teacher. So Michael actually traveled to Wimbledon for the first time in his life. He's a huge tennis fan, and this was a pretty earth-shaking experience for him, as you will hear. Huge and, Federer fan as well. Yeah. And, and so, he got to see him on center court at Wimbledon. I mean, you know, we're a little bit jealous, but mostly very excited for him. (laughs) (laughs) 
And just to drop in a little plug for Michael's blog, he just wrote an article about his trip to Wimbledon, and you can find that at michaeljlewis.wordpress.com, and we'll put a link to that on the episode as well. Every Friday, he has a weekly blog post where he talks about, or writes about, rather, sometimes it's political, sometimes it's sport-related, just anything that really catches his eye that interests him. And I quite enjoy it. So if you're looking mm. for something to add to your your Feedly, <laughs> you know, your RSS aggregator, mm. or whatever it is that you use to... If you still use... If anyone still uses right, those. I still use Feedly. Oh, okay. Which I was very sad when Google Reader went, went you know, kaput. <laughs> <laughs> uh, put that into your RSS thingamabob, whatever it's called, and look out for that every week. So here's Michael. Is this the Crockett and Tubbs of tennis podcasting? <laughs> it is. I have to confess, I do not know that reference. I know. I, I knew I was taking a risk there. Miami Vice, early night, mid <laughs> oh, okay. 1980s show. I know you guys are young, but there's going to be a few of your listeners who will give me a knowing nod. I mean, we do watch a lot of television, but that may have predated us just I a little know. bit. Well, I was going to go with either that one, gentlemen, or a Sophia Petrillo, Shady Pines reference. So maybe oh, I should have gone with that I one. I really would have preferred that one. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, gents, tonight? Good, good. Uh, the last time we, well, the first time we met you, you had told us that yep. you were going to be going to Wimbledon. <laughs> yes. Did it live up to all that you expected? Oh, my God, yes. Oh, my God, yes. First <laughs> of all... Um, First of all, let me apologize to the listeners that my voice is not at 100%. I wish I could blame it on all the screaming I did at Wimbledon, but uh, I actually came down <laughs> a little bit of a, a cold virus sniffly kind of thing on the on the plane back and the flight back, and my body was adjusting to the time changes and all that. So I apologize for the cross between Barry White and Kermit the Frog that I might be sounding like right now. Barry um, White yeah. and Kermit With, the Frog. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, I understand that's not usually two people you hear in the same sentence. Um no, it was it was tremendous. I mean, you know, I since I was seven, eight years old, watching Wimbledon with my mom and Borg and McEnroe and those early '80s matches, which totally hooked me on the sport. Um, you know, Wimbledon was always a dream. I mean, to go there to visit it, it was like it was incredible. Um, so to actually, you know, at age forty, finally get a chance to go over and see a couple days of matches. Um, I flew over on the Friday night slash Saturday morning before the tournament started, and then my wife and I had tickets for. Monday court one tickets and Tuesday center court tickets and then flew home Wednesday. So it was a very quick trip. Um, yeah, it was amazing, guys. It was amazing. As much as I encourage you guys to go to the U.S. Open, since I certainly could show you around, I feel like that's my home slam since it's only about a half hour away from my apartment. Uh, Wimbledon was amazing. It was very different from what the U.S. Open was like, but it was incredible. The what were some the of sites, the, um, the court, the everything was great. What were some of the the things that stuck out for you in terms of that may have been different or took you by surprise based on what you were well, expecting? The, well, the first thing, and I, and I think I pointed this out on Twitter at the time, is how quiet it is. I mean, it is unbelievably quiet at the matches. I'm not talking about like during the points where it's respectful silence. I mean, after the points, between points, I mean, it was like library quiet. I mean, even after a great shot or a long point or some sign of really, um, you know, exciting uh, moment. It was like, and that was it. Like two or, two or three seconds of polite. No matter, no matter whether it was a double fault or an incredible winner, it was always the same. 
And, and, and James and Jonathan, I got dirty looks. I'm telling you, I counted at least 12 or 13 times over the course of two days simply for saying, like, woo good shot, Venus. Or, All right, good job, Dennis. Way to go. We'll keep it up. Like, not even anywhere near the volume you would hear at the U.S. Open. Like, I, my volume was lower. And I got people in rows next to me and ahead of me looking back at me with, like, an evil eye stink eye kind of thing. Like, <laughs> really? I'm not allowed to cheer a little bit? I'm not, like, yelling out in the middle of the point. I mean, it was like tennis etiquette on steroids. Like, they didn't, they didn't say anything. It was so quiet. Is that the but burden the of... Time, Sorry, is that the burden sorry? of being an American overseas, maybe? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, but I was not the only American who noticed it because I was at one of the courts, you know, you go to all these outer courts, you sit there, you talk to people. One of the other American fans there also noticed the same thing. It was the first thing she put out. She's like, wow, it's really quiet here. I'm like, I know. Um, so that was a big thing. And my wife and I both said, wow, like we can't believe like I'm getting these dirty looks for just, you know, basic general, like, low-level cheering, but they just, they don't do that over there at tennis. They just don't. Um, the other big thing that also I noticed immediately was people can bring champagne bottles into the grounds and they're drinking champagne, full glass champagne bottles, guys, into the grounds and drinking in the stands during the points, the whole thing, sharing it around, passing it around. You couldn't get a champagne bottle within 50 feet of security at the U.S. Open without having it be confiscated. But this was all, like, totally normal, expected thing. Like, oh, sure, we sit in the stands and drink champagne out of our glasses and out of our out of our bottles while matches are going on. That kind of blew me away. <laughs> now, is it only champagne or is it, like, beer and wine and or are they just um, that classy? See, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. I did see some some beer and, and, and wine being drank, but I'm pretty sure it was Stella Artois, which is like all over the grounds, which yeah. is sold there. But there was no champagne that I saw sold. It was just all people brought in. I even said to a woman, I said, the security doesn't even mind. Like, no, it's kind of like accepted, wink and a nod. Like, they look in your bag, they see you have the champagne, and you just sort of walk in or whatever. But like, you know, a bottle cap or like, you know, a flashlight, that would have gotten me evicted. But, you know, champagne, go right ahead. Right. <laughs> So those were two big things, just the quietness and the and just the, the champagne in the stands. I mean, other things that were really different, I guess. And again, I, I go by my years of going to the U.S. Open as opposed to any other slams. Um, but it was very orderly. Like, there was no pushing. There was no shoving. You know, a lot of the outer courts, as you guys know, at, in the early rounds, there's a lot of lines to get in to see, oh, you know, Nick Kyrgios is on court 12 and it's a smaller court. So maybe there would be pushing and shoving or some sort of, you know, oh, I was here. I want to get in there. There was none of that at Wimbledon. Everything was so orderly and nobody said a peep or, okay, this is where we're cutting off the line. We couldn't get these people in quickly. It was all very orderly and, and well-mannered and quiet. And frankly, as a New Yorker, I was almost like, oh, so this is how you could do it. <laughs> <laughs> because it is definitely not like that at the U.S. Open, guys, let me tell you. Did, so you, witness, did you witness the queue at all? <laughs> I did witness the queue. Well, now, they, they use the word the queue for everything. I mean... You're talking about the ticket queue for yeah, people lining up queue. overnight, right? Yeah. Yeah. Quite honestly, I did not see that bad of a line. Um, people I talked to said it wasn't as bad as in past years in terms of waiting. Um, so I did see some of that. But to be honest, we only entered and exited from one gate each day. What we had done, guys, is we'd bought a, a ticket package with one of these official ticket agencies. So the way it worked for my wife and I is we, we go to the tube station, the Southfield station closest to Wimbledon, and then we got a shuttle from the um, from the package from the travel company to the gate, and then we walk. They give us our tickets, and we walk in through the gate. So I think the area where we were let in was not where people usually line up in queue. 
So we didn't really see a huge long line. But from what I was told by people in the stands, it was not bad. What I did see was all the people lined up for the resale tickets on center court uh, for people after 5 p.m. each day. If you want to try and get onto center court and see the last hour or two of matches, you can go to one booth where people who really are not tennis fans who are just there to be seen and, you know, British executives or whoever uh, left at 3 o'clock. They drop off their tickets. They return their tickets. And you can then buy their tickets for five pounds or 10 pounds. So we did see a long line for that. Um, but no, the queue didn't seem so bad. And overall, I was warned uh, that the queues, the lines were going to be really bad, much worse than the U.S. Open in terms of food and getting in places. It really wasn't that bad. It was really pretty pretty standard stuff. Okay. Um, tell <clears throat> us about some of the players and the matches that you saw. Sure, sure. Um, like I said, I'm sure like you guys are too. I, I'm not one of those people who sits on one court and watches you know, one or two matches all day and then goes home. I, I wanted to bounce around and see a lot. Um, we did see your BFF Venus uh, on her first round match. Um, uh, and she played very well on court one. I know she was given the indignity of playing on court 18 uh, a couple of days later, which, you know, I can't even imagine they made her play on court 18. I know that is probably half of this podcast besides my interview is about that. But I can only imagine that's what you guys are upset about. Uh, but we did see Venus a little bit. We saw some of the big names. We saw Serena on center court. We, uh, we sort of snuck onto center court on Monday, the first day to see Federer. I basically ignored the rules and basically stood outside the gate asking people on their way out, tickets? You, you go, you're going for the day? You have tickets? And we got in to see Federer. Because me seeing Federer on center court, I mean, if, if I had a heart attack right then and there, I would have been like, okay, fine. You know, I got to see Federer on center court. My life is complete, you know. I mean, sure, I want to watch my kid grow up and graduate high school and college. <laughs> but really, seeing, seeing Federer center court Wimbledon was, you know, come on. So we got to see the end of Federer's extremely tough first round match um, where he had, I think, two tie breaks of the, of the first three sets, I think it was. Uh, so that was very cool. But really, the cool part was, was the outer courts and watching things like Denis Novikov, who I'm sure 99% of your listeners won't have heard of. Um, Denis Novikov, the young American kid, played college tennis. And it's very funny. My wife and I stumbled upon one of his qualifying matches a couple of years ago at the Open that he lost. So we sort of kept an eye on him over the years and he hasn't really done much beyond the challenger tour. I think he's ranked like 180 or 170 or something, but we stumbled onto the end of his match, the last set and a half of one of his first round matches. And this is a kid who's never won a main draw match. And as you guys, and I'm sure a lot of you listeners know, the difference between winning a first round grand slam match and not making it at all and losing is 20, 30, 40, $50,000 sometimes. Huge. And for players, yeah, for players ranked in the 100 to 200, 300 level, that can mean an entire another year on the tour. I mean, that could, that that's expenses and paying for coaches and all that. So those are the kind of matches I really love at Grand Slams because you're talking about these guys. This is a major life or death type career ending situation. And this Dennis Novikov kid, he was playing a tough match. Got very lucky, played another qualifier, which you don't really see. Usually see two qualifiers playing each other at Slams, but he played another qualifier, Luke. Um, Luke Seville from Australia. Okay. So, you know, it's not a match that was very well attended because most people didn't know who either one was, but that's exactly the kind of match I love going to a Grand Slam, the real tennis diehard kind of match. And Dennis Novikov won, and I think it was 50,000 pounds for winning the first round, and I think it was like 25 or 30 if he'd lost. So 20,000 pounds into dollars, that's, you know, $30,000, $35,000 or whatever the exchange is, but that's huge. So he, the relief on his face and the incredible excitement that he felt by winning his first ever main draw Grand Slam match. That was that was one of the beautiful things to see. So we saw him. We saw a couple of epic collapses by a couple of American women's players. Um, see, this Bethany is what Maddox I want to ask you about because yeah, go ahead. in our previous podcast, 
we talked about, you yep. know, first round matches to look at, whatnot. And mm-hmm. Allison Risk is clearly yep. one of the better younger Americans on grass. Like she has a grass pedigree. Mm-hmm. She played well Absolutely. this season. And she goes up against Roberta Vinci, who has won yep. barely anything in the last four months. Please yep. explain yep. to us yep. what happened. <laughs> I'm not sure I can explain what happened. I can tell you what I saw. Um, Vinci was was really playing very well, and she was dominating. And this was a match, I want to say, court three, maybe. I feel like it was a court three. I don't know. It all kinds of is a blur to me now. Um, I think it was court. It was a it was a fairly big court, and Vinci was killing her. It was six two, four two, and we were like, all right, maybe let's go somewhere else and look around. So we leave that match and come back, and, and uh, you know, I'm keeping checking on my phone. All of a sudden, I see it's five all in the second set. So I'm like, we better go back over here. <laughs> and Vinci and and and, and Riz starts playing much better. She's going for winners. She's hitting a lot of great shots. Vinci is muttering to herself in Italian. I mean, it looks like this is going to be a classic comeback. So Risk, who, as you said, is a great grass court player. She's done very well on the few grass court tournaments there are every year. She wins the second set, 7-5, gets up 3-1 in the third, and we're like, all right, this is going to be a great story. There's an American who came back, who needs it. Proceeds to lose the last five games. <laughs> and Vinci uh, survived and continued on till I believe she lost to Coco Vandaway today, right? On Sunday we're tipping this? Yes. Yes, did, okay. Did that happen? So, did that much happen? Yes. Okay. Yes, I think it did. I think it did. That sounds um, about right. So, <laughs> or that it should yes. have happened. Right, right. Is it tomorrow or no? No, I think it happened already. Maybe it's tomorrow. I don't know. My 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 head's are, my head's a little uh, confused. I apologize, guys. Um, but um, no, it was uh, it was it was tremendous because Risk had her right on the run. Like it was completely all the momentum was was the other way, and then all of a sudden it just it just turned back. So so that was one collapse, and the other one was even even more inexplicable. Bethany Maddox fan. So I don't know if you saw pictures of what she was wearing at this match. I mean, it was. Truly a very unique outfit, as only Bethany Maddox fans uh, can do. I believe it was it was like a tennis skirt, but it had like tassels on it, almost like you would see it like a, a, a honky-tonk bar on a Saturday night in Texas would be how I would describe it. Um, it was a very unusual outfit. Um, yeah, Coco Vandaway beat Vinci today. Okay, so I'm not crazy. That okay. did happen. Okay. Um, anyway, so Bethany Maddox fans was playing Safarova, who, of course, is a very good player, former... French Open, Open finalist. Semi-finalist, I think. Yeah, French Open finalist. Yeah. And Maddox Sands is playing great. And up 5-2 in the second set, or 5-3 maybe, and proceeds to lose the second set. And we're like, uh-oh, what's going to happen now? It's going to be a, a whitewashing. You know, Safarova got all the momentum. And then Maddox Sands gets up again, 5-3 in the, fifth, in the in the third set, and proceeds to lose the last four or five games there as well. And it was just such a crushing thing to watch that happen in real time you know to see someone go from you know having the match in hand in the second set and then Safarova battled back and then and Maddox Sands got a couple of bad calls I thought this was a non-Hawkeye court so I think there were a couple of questionable calls and you know when you're sitting as close on these outer courts as fans are you really can't tell when the ball is is in or out you know you are able to to have a better idea of what it is Um, but to see Maddox Sands collapse at the end of that second set and then take a big lead in the third set and still not be able to win. It was tremendous uh, guts and resilience by Safarova, but really you felt like Bethany really let a big opportunity get away on that match. So those were a couple of the the, the interesting matches that we saw the drama. I'm a little bit torn in that one because I do like Bethany a lot and her singles Mm -hmm. play has fallen off in the last few months. But also 
Lucy has had a rough go of it since making the French Open, fi- yes. French Open final last year. Yes. She could barely yes. win a match when she came back. And now she's <laughs> in the round of 16. You know, that's the kind of luck that you need to kind of restart yes. your, you know, good fortune. Because <laughs> it's not, it's not just mean, all you know, talk- practice, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you talk about luck and, and you talk about, you know, bad breaks. How about, uh, Anna, um, was it Kordic, Kordic, the woman who stepped on the, stepped on the ball at seven all in the, uh, in the third set. Uh, that was Anna Kanja. Anna Kanja. She was playing, uh, Aga, Aga Radwanska. I mean, you think about how small the margins are of these kind of things. She's right there about to maybe beat the number three seed in the world at Wimbledon and, you know, steps on a ball. I mean, how many, Thousands of times has a player run up for a ball like that and then step on it and have that happen. I mean, that's, that's one in a million. That's, that's never going to happen. And to have her blow it and have her get injured like that with a chance for, for a life changing upset, it's just, it's amazing. I mean, that's also, guys, one of the things you notice. The margins between winning and losing in these matches, when you see them up close and how close some of these shots come to, to being out or in, it's just, it's amazing. It's such a needle in a haystack kind of sport where you just, everything is so, the margins are so slim and so small between winning and losing that almost every player who wins a slam can point to something where, well, I, if I lost that point or this point, and you know, it would have been different. So you just get such an appreciation seeing it live and being up close as, as to how close winning and how close it is to winning and losing since so many of these uh, top players. Right. Um, you saw Jonathan's countryman, uh, Dustin Brown, right? Yes. Yes. We couldn't get too close to that. Um, that was one of those matches where we're like, okay, this is going to be a, a popular match. We better get over there soon. But then I don't remember if that was the elephant around the elephant risk match or there was some other match that could have kept us away from, from Dustin. Uh, but man, he is fun to watch. I would pay, he, he's worth the price of admission, uh, by himself. If that was the only match I was going to see. He'd be worth it. We saw, we stood and watched a few games of his first round match and, uh, he played very, very well. Um, I think it was a Brit that he beat the first round, I feel like maybe. I don't remember exactly who he beat now um, before his great match with Kyrgios. Um, but, uh, yeah, Dustin Brown is so much fun. I mean, he, he serves in volleys. He, he dies. He jumps around. His hair is flying all over the place. You know, those of us who are follicle challenged like myself have just <laughs> complete hair envy. Complete hair envy of Dustin Brown. I mean, if I could have just a couple of those dreadlocks, I would love it. Um, he, he's so much fun to watch. And, you know, it's almost like you feel cheated because you're like, if he can do this, a couple days a year, a few days a year, like, why can't he follow this up? How is the guy this talented still struggling to get into main draws? You know what I mean? Right. That's always he is wildly like. entertaining to watch. That's always how I feel watching Dustin. You know, when he's really zoning, he's making these incredible right. volleys. He has such finesse. And then, you know, he just smacks a backhand into the stands. You know, like, it's kind yeah. of all or nothing with it's him. like, how do you... Right, how do you play that great and also be the guy who lived it, you know, almost like Marit Safin. Marit Safin in the day, mm. where he would, like, dominate somebody 2-1-1 one, and one or whatever, and then the next day lose to somebody ranked, you know, 211. Like, right. you're just like, how is this the same person? You know? So, uh, he was great. The one big story I didn't get to see, I don't know if you guys have mentioned this or not, but the Marcus Willis phenomenon. Oh, yes. The, yeah. uh, the Brit. I, I, I did not get to see, I mean, who knew that was going to become such a thing, but, oh my God, the tabloids went, the London tabloids went crazy over this guy, how his, girlfriend is a dentist and she was going to go to America and you know and I heard from from our mutual friend John Wertheim who interviewed some of the people around his match they said oh well like his friends were like dude I beat him in a practice set last week now he's playing Federer on center court you know like the best thing ever was 
he had a match with Federer on Wednesday, and then Thursday he had a match with his club team, like, you know, East Norwich, you know, whatever club. But, like, you know, Federer, and then, you know, going to your, like, you know, 4.0 level club match on a Thursday night beer league. It's, like, so incongruous. But um, he was definitely the story of the first couple of days in terms of the British uh, hopeful that this guy, you know, the 23rd ranked Brit. Who even knew there were 23 Brits that were ranked? I mean, you know, for one thing. I mean... Right. Uh, you know, ranked 772 in the world. Like, again, I didn't even realize there were rankings that high. Um, for him to come on and win a match and have such a great time with Federer, and Federer totally embraced the moment and, and let him have the have the cheers at the end. I mean, that was a wonderful story. I really wish I had been there for that or seen a little bit of the Marcus Wills experience. But, you know, you can't see everything. <laughs> you see, what I really took away and appreciated from that match was how Federer... Yeah. And, you know, I'm no big Federer stan, like. I've oh, warmed I, I to him in my I, older James, years. Can you verify that? You can verify that. <laughs> I've warmed to him in my. I'm older no big Serena fan. Let me stipulate that as well. That'll stop <laughs> yeah, you guys we know. Well. <laughs> yeah, we know. But the way anyway, go ahead, Johnson. I'm sorry. The way he ceded the spotlight to Marcus Willis and wasn't bothered at all by having to pay, play second fiddle, I really appreciated. That. Yep. Because there are other top yeah, players I, who make it seem I won't call names. They make it seem like they need to have standing ovations, even if they go to the bathroom. You know, <laughs> like sometimes. Oh, go ahead and call names. Sometimes you're talking, you're talking about Novak, aren't you? I'm, I'm about calling Novak. no you're names. You're not, you're not <laughs> calling no names, but sometimes yeah. it's okay no, but I hear to have saying. it not be yeah, all for, about you. You know, right? For Federer, I mean, you know, also you're Roger Federer. You know, this guy's not going to beat you. I mean, you know, it's, it's <laughs> not going to happen. He does. It's not going to happen. But, you know, absolutely. I mean, Federer's been that moment so many times. I almost feel like he enjoyed it so much because it was almost like remembering what it was like when when he was young and nobody knew who he was and it was a big deal for him to get on center court. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, from his pre-match comments Federer made to, to, you know, making sure Willis got the ovation at the end. I mean, the guy played pretty well. I mean, considering the moment and first time on center court, after that first set, he played pretty well. So, uh it was uh, it was definitely one of the highlights, and I agree. It was very nice of Federer to uh, to do that and uh, and give Willis a little moment in the sun. You met up with Steph in the U.S., <laughs> a friend of the podcast. Yes. We met her in Cincinnati last yes. year. Uh, I put it in... was a mutual hookup. You guys, yeah. uh, she's a huge fan of yours, by the way, huge fan of yours. So I had to I had to tell her I knew them when before they even had a podcast. So, <laughs> you know. so we you had you had tweeted to me if I knew anybody who would help you out with what to do yes. in Wimbledon the first few days, put you in touch with Steph because yes. I knew she was going and she's well-traveled yes. in the tennis world. I don't think there's many oh tournaments God. at she this point well she traveled. hasn't yes. been to. And so tell us about meeting yes. up in person because you got a pretty cool story as well, right? Yes, yes, got a very cool story. Well, she was uh, wonderful. I know she's a big fan of your podcast and a big fan of you guys. So uh, I definitely share that sentiment as, as as many of us out in the tennis world are big fans of you guys and your <laughs> podcast. Um and I say that not just because you've had me on twice. But. <laughs> <laughs> You're the um, first repeat but guest. No, it was great. Yes, yes. No, what I asked, what I sent, I, it's true. I sent John and James a message saying, "Hey, if you guys have a lot more tennis followers than I do, I tweet about a lot of different things, not just tennis. And you guys are very, very good about tennis and Mariah Carey and and, and, and all those kind of things. <laughs> um, but you, I, Steph was one of the nice people. I asked you to tweet out to anybody who's been any of your followers." who've been to Wimbledon a bunch of times, any tips for first timers like me, so I won't fall into the, you know, the wrong habits or get bad advice or whatever. And Steph was very sweet and, and gave me some tips and we started talking and it turns out she didn't have tickets yet. And I was telling her we had center court tickets on Tuesday, said, Oh, well you're definitely gonna see Serena because the the ladies the defending ladies champion always opens 
uh, center court on Tuesday, which I guess I, I didn't know that. So I said, great, if you want, if you're going to be there and don't have tickets, I'll be happy to, you know, let you use our center court tickets for that match and then we'll trade up. And she was very sweet. She's like, oh, thank you so much. That's great. And then it turned out she was able to get tickets. And the tickets she got for center court, guys, I'm telling you, amazing. Amazing. She did it through Ticketmaster in the UK and she actually didn't realize how good her seat was. So when she tweet texted me, on Tuesday morning, say, okay, where are you sitting? I'm like, oh, we're in 306 or whatever, which is fine. You know, I took, I'd be happy to have any center court ticket. But, oh, I'm in 111. I'm like, mm, let me look at the map where 111 is. So, holy bleep, look where 111 is. She was like <laughs> breathing on the court. She was literally, and I put a picture up on my, on my blog tomorrow, um, of, of where we were sitting for that match. She was literally in the second row on the baseline, like she could have breathed on the players. If she had been having an argument with someone on the phone, the players would have heard her. That's how close she was. So I basically, once I realized how good her seats were, I said, oh, that's awesome. She's, she's going to be there all day. So we ended up meeting up for dinner during the rain delay. Tuesday was the first rain delays. And so there was a break. I think it was after the Wozniacki and Kuznetsova match. Yes. Um, so we met up with her for a little bite to eat or whatever. And I said, just for the heck of it, you know, it's, people have left. It's raining. It's like 630. I want to try and follow you onto your seat, see if anyone stops us, and I'll try and schmooze with the security guard. My wife first thought I was like, oh, come on, it's never going to work. But then she's been with me long enough to know that I actually do do this kind of stuff, and I have no shame, and I actually am able to get away with some of this stuff. So she was like, sure, go ahead. So let me tell you how exclusive these seats were. It wasn't even like a gate or a marked entrance. It was literally like a Harry Potter, like, trap door kind of thing, where, like, it wasn't marked or anything, but, like, this is the only way to get to those lower seats was through this, like, it looked like a door to somebody's house. It didn't look like a big gate opening like you walk through in a stadium. So I didn't even know how to get onto the court. She basically had to, like, knock on the door and someone comes and opens it and you walk through. It was, like, <laughs> it was like the most what? incredible seats I've ever seen in a tennis court. <laughs> so she knocks in or whatever, and, of course, the security guard, a lovely woman, asked for her seats and her ticket, and then she looks for us, and I say, okay, here's the deal. I say, we're sitting in section 306. You all the way up there? I said, but it's 7 o'clock. Most of the crowd has left. It's Coco Vandaway, Katarina Bondareko. It's not like there's a huge mass of people wanting to watch this match. There's like 20 seats left to the left of our friend Steph here that are empty. Here's a picture of my little son at home. His dad has always wanted to go to Wimbledon. I literally showed him the picture. I'm like completely blatantly pulling out all the stops and using his cuteness for my own benefit. And I said, please, can we just sit here? It's only going to be like another hour of play. I've never sat this close to tennis. And she actually, like, you could watch someone's brain turning. Like, she actually was, like, taking on. She's like, all right, sir, but if anyone comes in those seats, you have to. I'm like, absolutely, 100%. I didn't, once she said yes, I, like, sprinted through the door. <laughs> so for about for about the second the second set of the bondarenko coco Bandway match, which happened to be a very good set, went to a tiebreaker, uh, we got to sit, like, no exaggeration, five feet from the edge of the court. And it was incredible. I mean... It's one thing to sit like outer court when you're on the outer courts at these slams and see, you know, you're five feet away from, you know, you know, two good players. But, you know, you're on center court at Wimbledon. I mean, you're sitting closer than the queen sits, you know, when she comes. You know what I mean? Um, and we got to watch Bondarenko and, uh, and, and Bandaway for a set. And it was incredible. And it's all to Steph. And her, her knowledge of tennis is incredible. She's been to so many events and she travels so much. I don't know where she gets the time to go to all these events, but she, uh, she does a great job. She filled me in on a lot of things, gave me a lot of good gossip, which I always appreciated, which I won't share because, you know, it's all unsubstantiated tennis gossip. See, this is the best um, part it was about not, it was this is the best part about attending tennis tournaments and meeting up with people <laughs> who attend regularly 
and maybe you get to talk to certain people that you wouldn't normally get to yeah. talk to outside of Twitter. You get yeah. all this gossip yeah. that, as oh, you yeah. said, the, you wouldn't yeah. dare repeat. No, <laughs> you know? no, except the people but I know. But it is I some juicy on stuff. Or in my blog. No, she had stories, and you know she had she had a lot of good a lot of good uh, information. Let's put it that way, a lot of opinions on things, and uh, you know we had, we had a little bit of a back and forth about Serena, and clearly I, I learned very quickly she is in the uh, Newman slash Rogers camp of Team Williams. She's slash definitely the not in agreement side with me with of some of the the story. Yes, yes, correct. <laughs> you know, different opinion. You say correct, I say it. Different, we'll see. But, uh, no, we had a great time. She was, she was very sweet and she, uh, clearly is a huge tennis fan. And, you know, I apologized to her at the end. I said, I'm sorry if I was talking your ear off during this match, but I don't get to talk to people about tennis who know so much about tennis in person that often in my life, you know? <laughs> like, you don't get that opportunities in regular life to actually talk about a lot of these things, you know? It's, it's just, it's not, it's not that big of a community in my life, in my world who are, you know, fellow tennis nuts, so. It was it was great, and thanks to her, we were able to see uh, see see uh, a match from from down low, which was which was amazing. So, Steph, uh, publicly, I need to thank you, and I appreciate all your all your help with us at Wimbledon. So we are so grateful that you came back on the show, and thank you so much for your <laughs> insights. Because we're you know a little bit jealous, Absolutely. but mostly very happy for you that I you went know. to Wimbledon. <laughs> I know that's a good Look, way of describing it. It was a once in a lifetime deal. I I know it was a once in a lifetime deal. U.S. Open, that you guys are more than welcome to come down. I've been begging you for at least two or three years now to come down to the U.S. Open, which which I will ha- happily host you guys. You don't even have to get a hotel room. You can come stay with us for God's sake. We're, um, we're targeting no, twenty seventeen. All right, 2017. We'll probably still be living in New York at that. I can pretty much guarantee we'll still be in New York. At that okay, time, so. okay, good. Uh, no, it was it was wonderful, and I'm always happy to come on with you guys. And uh, if you ever, anytime you want me back for U.S. Open or anything else, uh, I'm more than happy to come back. And uh, and James, I promise I'll try and keep my Williams uh, hostility to a minimum on Twitter. I'll I'll try and I'll try and work on that for you. I know you will. Because you see, I have yeah. more restraint than he does. He's the one that will really <laughs> come get you. And that. And that's scary that you're the restrained one in the relationship. That's a little frightening. People always think that I'm the mean and nasty one, but it's really him. That's a little like saying, you know, Kanye West is the most sane one in his family or something. You know, that's that's a little scary right there. But uh, I always appreciate coming on with you guys, and uh, and thank you so much for having me on on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, and uh, feel better, okay? Take care. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Michael for coming on the show. Always a pleasure. We're going to get into the final part of the podcast where we give you a few thumbs up and thumbs down from the first week of Wimbledon. And then we'll finish with or see what had happened was. Which is particularly juicy to use your word. I'm so looking forward to this. So looking forward (laughs) to it. So we would be remiss if we did not mention Marcus Willis in our thumbs up. Right. So ranked number 772, which is barely any points, <laughs> you know. There's nothing the Brits like more than some kind of Cinderella story at Wimbledon. Oh, yeah. And one with a beauty queen girlfriend. Right. Who's also a dentist. A dentist. A dentist. Oh in my Britain. God. Oh, my They God. have those, apparently. <laughs> you are such a shady bitch. <laughs> So Marcus Willis won his first round match, and then he gets Roger Federer on center court at Wimbledon. And the lead up to this match was something else. Mm -hmm. Everybody was hyping it up. 
people were watching it everybody was watching it and i don't know you talk about it you get into this well you know we've talked about how difficult it is for lower ranked players to make a living on in this career right Mm -hmm. and most of the time we're talking about people around top 100 or 200 seven this is 772 this really is a cinderella story (laughs) right this is the 23rd ranked player in the uk as Michael let us know. Right. He was shocked that there even were that many ranked players in the UK. <laughs> but I don't know if this dude has a lot of money in his corner or what, but it is hard to keep this going. To make this a career. He you know? had a granny that was very supportive. I remember watching the match and Brad Gilbert saying that his grandmother reached out to him one year at Wimbledon and paid for a private lesson with Brad Gilbert. And Brad was like, yeah, buddy, like you got skills, mm. but you got to lose some weight pretty much. Brad you know? said that? Yeah, and Brad speak, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> to, commenting on the match in real time. Mm-hmm. And there was this thing that was going on where people were like, oh, my God, there's this like fat dude playing so well. <laughs> and it's so great. And it's so amusing. And like, oh, my God, he's playing Roger Federer Wimbledon. And I'm just thinking to myself. Okay, he is not fat. He's not fat. By tennis standards, mm. he's out of shape. He's lost, as Anna Marseille pointed out when I tweeted about Mm. this, that part of his story is that he's lost a lot of weight to get to this point. Okay. So imagine what he was before. Mm. But what I keep thinking is, how would we be framing this narrative if we were a female tennis player? Right? Well, yeah. Like, we would not be finding any form of amusement in this story. It would be mostly ridicule. Mm. It'd be like... I mean, we saw it with Marion Bartoli, who is a Wimbledon champion, that that was... A thread throughout her career. We saw it with Taylor Townsend and how she was ill-treated by the USTA. Right. In not being given funded because she didn't take her career seriously. Supposedly. Yeah. Supposedly. From he who must not be named. The <laughs> evil brother of the evil John McEnroe. Pseudo non-talented brother. That's his Twitter handle, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, a lot of players have failed to win seven games against Roger Federer. Uh-huh. And Marcus Willis is not one of them, you know? <laughs> and you said to me, which I take particular exception to, that Marcus Willis is not dissimilar to Jack Sock. And I was like, hold guys, up. Hold up. Because we did this segment before. We talked about, or like booze, or mm. bays, or whatever. Like, boys we found to be particularly thirst trap worthy <laughs> and i said that you know i can't really explain it but like somehow jack Sock's thickness does it for me right and marcus willis's thickness does not do it for me so i would like you to explain to me the ways in which i'm not seeing this <laughs> i mean i just think maybe you're being a little unfair i mean jack has ass okay okay but their body types are pretty similar actually very dissimilar <laughs> <laughs> fair enough we're gonna move on from this other thumbs up. I have Madison written down, but we already talked about Madison. And the, I, I I saw this written. I'm like, what's so noteworthy about Madison to give her a thumbs up? And you <laughs> said. Well, she beat Cornet. I think that's what I said, right? <laughs> that is exactly what you said. Well, that's not what you said. You said a lot more things that you would, would not dare repeat on no, this podcast. No, I would never. Because that would show me in a very uh, negative light. Mm. (laughs) 
But how about Venus making her way through five rain delays right? against Kazakina? Five rain delays. Did you see her? <laughs> this is the best video ever. Uh, all of a sudden, during for one of the rain delays, all the crowd got up and started like started bolting toward the doors. And Venus looking up like, what? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> she looks so confused, like scared even. <laughs> And she said later on, like, I didn't know what was going on. I thought maybe there were rats in the stadium or something. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, she didn't feel the rain as quickly as the the crowd did. But she was up a match point when the play was called at one point. This is crazy. This is 36-year-old Venus Williams. (laughs) Soon to be. Well, she is 36-year-old Venus Mm -hmm. Williams at this point. Again at Wimbledon in the fourth round with this great opportunity, and she's taken it so far. I just keep my fingers crossed. Keep my fingers crossed. Because we just don't know how many more chances we have. Right. We, We've we been saying this for a long time, yeah. and she keeps coming back. You know, people have no problem bowing down to Beyonce, because she's Queen B. But this is Queen V. <laughs> and we need to bow down to her greatness, because there ain't nobody like Venus Williams on the WTA Tour. There ain't never been nobody like Venus Williams, Mm-mm. and we ain't likely to see nobody like Venus Williams in the near future or ever again. I, I, I'm so overcome by just every time I think about how great Venus is in so many regards. And the fact that she's still giving me this life <laughs> as a tennis fan. You Get know? your life. I am getting it, and I'm getting up tomorrow to watch her play Carla. And I just hope, I'm not a praying man, but I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, thumbs down. Well, this is a come down. So you wanted to talk about the various boys and their hormones. Because like, come on, like every time I fucking turn on the TV, some boy, because... Everybody wants to infantilize women at every turn Mm. in tennis and in life. And these boys, these men behave like boys all the time and just like, (laughs) okay, it's so funny. It's so funny. It's hilarious that Victor Troiki could just like go off on the umpire and it's the funniest thing ever. I mean, that was such an embarrassing display. You know, you have just lost, and he's berating the umpire like that. Mm. Just get him out of here. Like, Kyrgios can give that press conference and have many valid points to say, but the way he carries off his performance in that press conference is just pitiful. Like, why? Every time I want to defend him, like, right. I agree with him on a lot of these things, yeah. but he's just so condescending. The more this whole Kyrgios situation plays out the more i find myself agreeing with him and defending him but i'm not gonna sit here and watch you behave like that and think that that's okay Mm. i just ain't and i don't this argument like i will never accept this argument that oh he's just 21 just wait until he matures No, no he's 21 years old he's a grown man these are not things we would ever accept from women and also look at all the other 21-year-olds who are doing just fine. Just stop. Just stop with this mess. Feliciano Lopez and Fabio Fonini. Like, what in the fresh hell <laughs> happened in that match? Like, uh, I'm, I'm watching these things happen like it's some kind of Twilight Zone. 
which we did go to the same undergrad where the writer and producer of the Twilight oh, yeah. Zone, Rod Serling. Rod Serling, went to Ithaca College way, way, way back in the day. Yeah. We um, also got Ricky Lake. We got David Boreanaz. We got who? That guy from uh, Smash who lived on the same floor oh, yeah. as you. Jeremy Jordan. Yeah, Jeremy Jordan lived um, two doors down. Oh, three doors oh, down and from you. hot piece Aaron Dwight. Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. anyway, off topic. Feliciano Lopez, apparently Fabio's coach said something to him, which he was not happy about. And <laughs> if you read anything he's had to say about it since, it's like, I never in my life has I, have I had somebody's coach speak to me that way. Mm. And he won't tell us what it is, but apparently it was pretty bad. Oh, Lord. And so being, you know, I hope Fabio fires that coach because Fabio was up two sets to love. <laughs> and lo and behold, who won that match? Mm. Feliciano Lopez. And he was like, you know, that invigorated me. That made me want to play better. Mm-hmm. So, and then after the match was done, he shakes the umpire's hand and then goes to go have it with Fabio's coach. Really? And had to be brought, walked back. By the chair umpire. <laughs> Meanwhile, Fabio's just sitting in his coach. Yeah. In his chair. He's in marital bliss, okay? <laughs> now, speaking of telling people to shut up, mm. gentle giant Del Potro told Pui to shut up. And we know this because Pui was complaining to the umpire <laughs> and said, what did you just say to me? Did you just say shut up? And Del Potro said, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Okay. I don't really know what precipitated that, to be honest, but those are our thumbs down. And I think it's best to keep that brief. Yeah. Now, see what had happened was Miss Serena Williams took to some kind of video published by some kind of site. I just know it appeared on my Twitter feed. (laughs) Instagram, Periscope. I have no idea what it was. She's giving one of these rundowns of her day. After, you know, she wasn't able to play, you know, I had all these rain delays and, you know, I just hope I don't have to play many matches in a row, but even if I did, it's fine. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you about all these things, these mundane things. And then, oh, my eyes are so wide right now. And that's because somebody lost today that didn't play as well as they should have. Or they were expected to. Expected to. And I'm just like... And she just drops that and then carries mm-hmm. on. It's like a minute-long video. I'm like, girl! What are we doing here? This is some high school-level attempt at shade. Well, this was a very clear allusion to Muguruza's loss, which happened that day. That day. I mean, it, it had to be, and right? And even if it isn't about Muguruza, you gotta know. It's going to be interpreted right. as shade directed toward Muguruza. I mean, I'm pretty sure that was the point. And in my mind, I'm thinking, what is it that Garbinia has done to warrant this response? Right? Because shade is best served when it's warranted. Like when mm. somebody's done something and they need to be put in their place and you shade them, it's also satisfying. It's also satisfying to deliver, to watch. To soak and swim in mm-hmm. as a fan. <laughs> but as a Serena fan, I can't I cannot defend this mess. This is just messy, messy, messy. Well, you don't know. I don't know. But like maybe, maybe maybe she did something. Like maybe they were walking on court at the Roland Garros final and Muguruza said, like, I'm gonna beat you, you bitch. <laughs> you know, you have no idea. We don't know. 
And as a Serena fan, I'd like to believe that that right? happened. But it just seems so out of no, literally out of nowhere. She's telling you about, she could have been talking about, yeah, you know, I just painted my toenails red and white. And then my eyes, you know, they're just wide open because somebody lost who had no business losing. Fuck you, bitch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was like, why are you so obsessed with me? Right? <laughs> <laughs> That was rather surprising. I feel like Serena has been in a little bit of a salty mood during mm-hmm. this tournament. Yeah. You know, Patrick's out here talking his normal bullshit. Um, she's been a little bit spicy in press. Not not like super rude, but... She told us that she was real pissed she lost that French Open right. final. Maybe it had something to do with the fact that she lost it to Muguruza. Maybe. Well, Serena angry... This is the cliche, but angry Serena can be deadly. Mm. You know, so I I hope that this is a harb like a good harbinger here, which is what I told you in the preview episode. I said mm-hmm. I'm most confident about Serena winning this tournament as opposed to the last three, because of the signs I've been seeing. Okay, mostly about how she's been talking about how she's pissed, she's ready, she's whatever. You know, mm-hmm. but I also wonder how much of this has to do with this whole business of Garbinia saying we don't all love each other. What is that she said? She said, we all hate each other. Yeah, we, ha, all, ha, ha, ha. Like, yeah, we all hate each other. And if somebody tells you otherwise, don't believe them. And it got a lot of pushback on Twitter from mm-hmm. a lot of players. And even today, Reem Ebelil from 360 Sports out of Dubai, she is saying that after Sveta beat Sloan Stevens, mm-hmm. she was asked about it. And she, you know, Sloan posted on Twitter... You can't win every day, whatever, but, you know, sometimes even the tough days make it all worth it or something like that. And then she showed a picture of her hugging Kuznetsov in a really tender moment after their 8-6, 3-set match. And after she had given up, what, a 5-2 lead and that's it? Uh uh-huh. And Sveta, when asked about it, said, you know, this is a good example to the younger generation that we don't all have to hate each other. Like, I keep seeing these remnants, these footprints... Mm -hmm. Of that statement almost a year ago from Muguruza, where people, it's still affecting the way tennis happens. Right. After the fact. And so maybe it is that people just don't like Muguruza. Maybe people are still taking issue with that. Maybe she's done other things that we just don't know about. But I keep seeing all these things happen. Mm. And I'm wondering, why is it that so many people are taking shots at Muguruza? (laughs) And people aren't taking shots at Serena no more. Tara Moore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where... Sorry, where are you, Tara Moore? Yeah, she's nowhere to be seen. Okay. But, you know, Serena is far more revered than she's ever been on the WTA tour. People are fucking walking up to her asking her for a hug. Is it okay if I hug you? Right. <laughs> you know? Her first round opponent told her that she was an idol of hers, and she mm-hmm. asked if they could hug at the net. I mean, this is a new softer kinder gentler yeah, this is a rarefied air for serena right. from where she's coming from mm-hmm. and so you have Muguruza who's decided to take on this role of a obviously the main challenge to serena's throne in terms of real raw talent and no actual results at the french open beating serena at the french yeah. open like she is public enemy number one but what is it that has happened before and since that has positioned her in this place for people to be taking these coded shots at her. Well, uh, with Serena, I have to wonder if, since Sharapova is out of the game, Serena needs something of a punching bag. 
Mm-hmm. And I think maybe she wants to ensure that Muguruza doesn't become the next Sharapova, starting, you know, to out-earn everybody on tour. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, because, this... listen, last time, Serena did not win the next major after losing the 2004 Wimbledon final to Sharapova. And then she lost to her at the year in championships. championships. And Serena did dig out the Australian Open the following year. But I think she really wants to get her name on this Wimbledon trophy this time to just stop the chatter that Serena is done. And part of that, maybe she feels energized by throwing a few little pot shots at Muguruza. Maybe. But maybe it wasn't about her. I don't know. I don't know. This is all speculation. Right. It certainly wasn't about Djokovic because she has mad respect for him (laughs) because they're both making extreme history. Extreme history. And she wanted him to win the Grand Slam. So So she says. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I feel like a very, very small part of her, at least a small part of me, if I were her, would be a little relieved that he lost at the same leg uh-huh. Of that Grand Slam, you know, not at the same tournament, but after four. Okay. I hope this shows to you all that we are not above critiquing our faves. Mm-hmm. Because I really had a side eye moment at this. I don't know where I was. I just remember watching the video and I was like, Serena, <laughs> why? Why? <laughs> because take it from RuPaul. Shade shouldn't be mean. It should be cutting and clever, but doesn't have to be mean. Mm-hmm. It was unnecessary, <laughs> I think. And let me tell you, I'm all for pettiness. Yeah. Obviously. You are very petty. Fuck you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, if you've enjoyed this Wimbledon mid-Wimbledon extravaganza... Let us know. Give us a review on iTunes. Hit up Michael Lewis on Twitter. Tell him how awesome he was on the episode. Tell us how awesome we were on the episode. <laughs> Let us know about what you think about the See What Happened was. If you think we're way out of line. Mm-hmm. If you are mad as hell that we came for your queen. Even though she is our queen. Well, my she's my second queen. Queen regent? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she's my queen younger sis. Of right, because like Princess Margaret. Yes, because <laughs> Venus is just always up there. If you think you've reached the highest stratosphere, mm-hmm. there is another level, and that's Venus, because she operates on a plane above us all. Wow. Yeah, she does. <laughs> and you know, Venus probably won't even give two fucks about that I said that, but that's why I love her no. too, because she ain't bothered by any of it. She'd be like, I don't know what a podcast is. <laughs> <laughs> right? She's got child. I got like, I still have a flip phone. I got some fashions to design. (laughs) The body serve on Twitter is at the body serve. I'm Jonathan at SportsCribeCA on Twitter. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. Till next time.